The one thing that stands out to me was that I remember with baby number one, we really came together and focused all of our energy and time and attention on that little baby. And it was a very unifying experience because we were Mm -hmm. coming together around this new child. But with baby number two, it felt almost opposite, right? We were dividing and conquering and moving in completely different directions. Yeah. I I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think is really common. Um, I think it's, I think that that first baby experience um, is really common for a lot of people um, because it's this giant transition, right? It's this new identity, this new person. And I think for couples who've had a sense of connection before they became parents, I think it feels like this kind of, I don't know, magical thing that you're doing, right? And this kind of really amazing new task. And I think that when there's a good foundation that can bring people together, um, But yeah, as as more kids come along, it just becomes so much more chaotic and there's just so much more to do. And that's where I see people struggling. Hi, this is Danae. I'm the founder of Simple Families. Simple Families is an online community for parents who are seeking a simpler, more intentional life. In this show, we focus on minimalism with kids, positive parenting, family wellness, and decreasing the mental load. My perspectives are based in my firsthand experience raising kids, but also rooted in my PhD in child development. So you're going to hear conversations that are based in research, but more importantly, real life. Thanks for joining us. Hi there. Thanks so much for tuning in. That voice that you heard in the intro is Abby Nordquist. She's joining me today to talk about strengthening partnerships. Throughout the course of marriage or partnership, we all face an abundance of changes. And the transition into parenthood is probably one of the most profound. Abby is a licensed marriage and family therapist with a private practice in New York. She's also the founder of Lovewell, where she uses relationship coaching to help partners reconnect and reprioritize their relationship after becoming parents. In our chat today, Abby and I are talking about staying connected as partners Too often we expect mind reading and improving communication can be so important in improving connection and improving the overall function and flow of a relationship. Abby and I are also touching on something that I know many couples are facing, which is challenges with technology. As our jobs and our tech use start to bleed into all areas of our life at all hours of the day, Focusing on prioritizing connection and your relationship can feel trickier than ever. I hope you enjoy my chat with Abby today. If you want the links to the things that we talk about, go to simplefamilies.com forward slash episode 327. Without further ado, here's today's conversation. Hi, Abby. How are you? I'm good. How are you, Danae? Good. Thanks for chatting with me today. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so I am a couples therapist, and um, I have a private practice in Central New York, and I'm also um, the founder of Lovewell, which is um, kind of a second business that I started to try to help people who wanted to work on their relationships um, outside the therapy room. It felt like there was a lot of people that um, wanted to work on relationships but didn't quite need therapy or or therapy is not so accessible sometimes. So it felt like I wanted to create something where people could work on relationships in a different way. Um, 
So right now I'm focusing on um, couples in the earlier stages of parenting um, who are really missing the connection that they used to feel with each other before they had kids. Um, yeah. And I, I have kids myself. I have two, five and 10, and I've been married um, for 18 years and um, liking this stage of life. <laughs> yeah. I, in preparation for our chat, I was reflecting a little bit on the changes in my partnership when we entered into parenthood. And the one thing that stands out to me was that I remember with baby number one, we really came together and focused all of our energy and time and attention on that little baby. And it was a very unifying experience because we were Mm -hmm. coming together around this new child. But with baby number two, it felt almost opposite, right? We were dividing and conquering and moving in completely different directions. Yeah, I I think that makes a lot of sense and I think is really common. Um, I think it's I think that that first baby experience um, is really common for a lot of people um, because it's this giant transition, right? It's this new identity, this new person. And I think for couples who've had a sense of connection before they became parents, I think it feels like this kind of I don't know, magical thing that you're doing, right? And this kind of really amazing new task. And I think that when there's a good foundation that can bring people together. Um, but yeah, as, as more kids come along, it just becomes so much more chaotic. Yeah. And there's just so much more to do. And that's where I see people struggling more, I think, because um, there's just so much attention that has to be focused on the kids and on parenting and making everything run and get accomplished that there just becomes so much, you know, so little left over um, for the couple relationship. Yeah. Can you speak a little bit to those of us who experience parenthood as a disruption to the relationship right from the beginning, mm-hmm. right? When that first yeah. baby is born? Yeah, I I think that's, that's really common too. And I, again, I see it as there's so much that's needed and required um, to, you know, the transformation to becoming a parent is one of the, the biggest transformations that, that happens, right? I don't know if you're familiar with Alexandra Sachs' work, but she coined the term matrescence, and she talks about that process of becoming, you know, becoming a mother as being the the biggest transition that we go through, even, even bigger than, you know, adolescence um, with puberty. And there's just so much happening, you know, psychologically, developmentally um, in that process. And I think it just naturally pulls us away from other parts of our life. It becomes almost like tunnel vision of <laughs> this mm-hmm. baby and this, these roles and these tasks and these ways of feeling okay about ourselves as a, as a parent. And that's all, I think, really important and necessary and what needs to happen Um I think that what I see how ha- what I see is the struggle is that when that becomes the focus for so long, and then couples look up at some point, you know, a year, two years later, and realize, oh no, we haven't, you know, we haven't focused on our relationship in this long, and it's almost almost like the relationship has gotten kind of starved for for attention. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting to think about that idea of tunnel vision because I can feel that mm-hmm. strongly, and I kind of wonder, you know, you think who do you take in the tunnel with you, 
You know, I think mm-hmm. sometimes we get into that tunnel with our partner and then we kind of shut out other people, maybe other extended family members who really want to be involved or friends, people who want to support us. Um, and sometimes I think as women, we have a tendency just to go down that tunnel all lo- all alone by ourselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that is a big point of contention too in parenthood is how do we incorporate other extended family members and other people who want to be involved and want to support us. And that can be a big point of contention. Yeah. I think that's so important too. Even if you think about the relationship with your partner is that if two, if, if the two people are taking it all on their own, right? Like shouldering all the responsibility and tasks of parenting, especially in the early stages of babies, um, which some people have to do, right? Like they don't have other other support people necessarily. But I think the more we can allow people to help us with that, the more it kind of does give us a little more freedom and flexibility to be able to to have time with our partner and <laughs> to feel like yeah. there is still space for this relationship. And we're not all just, you know, giving every second of our free time to to kids. Yeah, absolutely. I can't help but feeling that technology and bringing our phones with us into the bedroom, into every element of our life has an impact on our connection as partners. Can you speak a little bit to that and how you've seen that coming up? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, oh man, it's such a hard thing, right? And we struggle with this too. You know, there are times Mm -hmm. like where we are really busy with work or with things and we just feel like we're on our phones all the time and it really does pull us away from even those small moments that we might be able to chat or talk or you know focus on each other and one or both of us you know kind of have our phones just so present and um, I think it really takes some dedication and some real commitment around what are the designated times that we are going to be on our phones or not what are the designated times that you know, like my husband and I have like a certain time of night, like after kids are in bed where we don't, or we try not to have phones so that we can actually spend time together and hang out. And that's our kind of really precious time that we really, really try to devote to that. But um, I think a lot of couples, it's really, really hard. And there's just such a, a pull towards it. And I think without a lot of intentionality, it just can eat up all that free time with my husband and I, we've tried to set the time like, oh, nine o'clock is the time and it never, ever works. But what does Mm -hmm. seem to work is if we prompt each other gently, like, hey, would you mind putting your phone down or something Mm -hmm. like that gently and kindly rather than just like, you're always on your phone. Can't you ever put that thing away? Which that happens (laughs) to sometimes, but the gentle version works much better. (laughs) Definitely. Yeah, I know we do that too. And I think it's, it's, it's a, I think as long as we can hear it and and kind of take it and and have a shared um, value, I think, Mm -hmm. around that this is important time and, um, you know, that there are times for phones later, (laughs) I think is is really good. Yeah. Um, I think that it's such a reflex to pick up our phones. So to me, that gentle reminder, like if someone reminds me, hey, Danae, can you put your phone down? That gentle reminder is is okay for me. It feels okay because I do know that sometimes I pick it up without even realizing it. So sometimes I need a little bit of redirection, but I don't know if everyone takes that so, so positively. Yeah. I think it can be a sensitivity, right? Like there can be something underneath that question that I think a lot of people react to, you know, if they're like, if underneath that is, 
a criticism of, you know, you work too much or you're not present with us enough or, um, you know, pe- and people are maybe are struggling to talk about that in a more vulnerable way where they can really name how they're feeling and what they're needing. I think then that question can feel like it's kind of not getting to the core of what it's really about. And then I think that can create more reactivity. Um, so I think if that's happening, I think when couples can can say, you know, I'm feeling disconnected lately, I'm feeling like, or I'm feeling like your job or my job or whatever is pulling us away from each other a lot. And and one way that I notice that is when we're on our phones a lot, you know, to, to be able to name that and contextualize it in a way that brings that that hurt or that need kind of more front and center, then I think sometimes we can hear the request to put the yeah. phone away in a little bit different, different way. Yeah. I think one of the key things I heard in what you just said was we, we can do better, right? That sort of joint effort, not accusatory, like you need to put your phone away. You are on your phone too much. And chances are it's, it's not a one-sided problem. Yeah. Yeah. Although we can sometimes I, view it like that. <laughs> Exactly. Um, yeah, I like. I think that's very accurate. I think most of us struggle, and if we can put ourselves in that category, even if we're feeling like in this moment, it's our partner that's the offender, and our partner the one that's really irritating us by being on their phone all the time. I think if we can remember the 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 shared struggle, I think that helps it be a little bit more hearable. <laughs> yeah, and I do think many of us have gone to using our phones rather than spending our evenings or whenever the time is to connect with our partners because we're just tired. Um, But sometimes it seems like it can morph into this numbing agent too, right? Where we're just wanting to shut out the world and just veg out on whatever it is that we're doing and almost allows us to avoid each other. Yeah, I totally agree. People who have that urge to have some numb out time um, to be on their phones. I think if they can, you can set like a limit for how much of that you get. Um, I just think for most of us, it's not, it may feel good in the moment, but it's not restorative. It's not very relaxing, um, really. (laughs) Um, And it's certainly not very connecting. Um, So one thing, something I talk a lot about with people, with couples is about what do they do in that time at night? And, um, you know, watching TV together is often like a a common thing. And I know that TV kind of gets a bad rap, but I think if there are certain ways that people do it, I think it can be good. Um, So I have a couple of rules that I tell people that they should use if they want to watch TV together is um, one, that they choose something they both like, um, that, you know, one person isn't just watching the other person's show that they don't really enjoy. Um, two, that they're both looking at the same screen at the same time. So there's not the TV on while also a phone in a hand and a laptop, you know, in somebody's lap um, so that they're actually focused on that thing. Um, and that they have um, at least one body part touching. So mm-hmm. this could be like feet, elbows, hips, um, you know, full on cuddling, but just something where there's some physical closeness. And I think if all those things are happening, I think that they're is a, a higher chance that that share or that TV time actually feels connecting and like, you know, you're hanging out together and doing something together rather than just numbing your brains. <laughs> right. Because it doesn't have to be vegging out individually on your phone versus staring deep into each other's eyes, having a really <laughs> yeah. important conversation. There's got to be a happy medium there somewhere. 
I like that idea. And actually, I never thought about applying that to the couple relationship, but that's what I do with my kids. That's how they get their Mm -hmm. screen time is they alternate watching shows on TV. He picks Mm -hmm. something, she picks something, he picks something. And it is screen time, but it is also an opportunity for negotiation and compromise and turn taking. And it is in many ways, I think that it really pushes the the sibling relationship in a way that they need, but isn't too hard. Mm-hmm. I love that. That's a great idea. And they don't, I mean, would they both prefer to be on separate screens? For sure. Separate iPads? Absolutely. One on one TV, one on another? Yes. Um, but we, and this, this is just kind of how we've always done it, is this is how it's going to be. You're both going to be sitting on the same sofa and taking turns and, um, and it seems it, they make it work. And then if they can't agree on what they're going to watch, then they have to turn it off. So miraculously, there always seems to be some compromise happening. <laughs> I love that. That's a really good idea. I'll, I'll have to try that with my kids. Right. But um, I'm going to try it with my partner and see. Yeah. Now, I have a feeling that he is going to have a harder time compromising <laughs> around my rom-com tendencies because he is much more of a Game of Thrones type watcher. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's a good exercise, though. And we, I mean, it sounds kind of silly to, to spend so much time, like, what show are we going to watch together? But I think it really changes the experience, right? If both people are are actually into it and are looking forward to it and want to watch it together, I think that just creates more warm, interested feelings about the experience and then makes it more likely that you're going to want to do that together. And, of course, you know, you can each have your own shows that you watch and whatever, I'm not sure what other free time there is, but you know, you can have time <laughs> to watch that. It's not that every time you watch TV, it has to be together, but when you, when you have a night where you're like, let's hang out and watch TV, I think it should be something where you're both interested. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Let's pause for a three minute word from today's sponsors. The first sponsor is Cozy Earth. Earlier this fall, my husband and I got our first set of Cozy Earth sheets and very quickly fell in love. So no surprise that their pajamas are equally as amazing. The kind of pajamas that are so comfortable, it makes it really hard to get dressed in the morning. Cozy Earth has developed and crafted high quality goods, both responsibly and sustainably with materials from the earth. When it comes to the loungewear, they offer optimal comfort with a flattering, elegant fit. Plus, Cozy Earth has been featured on Oprah's favorite list for four years in a row. They have a 10 year warranty on their products which I'm going to put to the test because I'm going to be wearing these pajamas pretty much every day for the next 10 years. They have all sorts of clothing to try on. You can get tank tops, t-shirts, sweatshirts, joggers, even scrunchies. Cozy Earth has provided an exclusive offer for my listeners today. You can get 35% off site-wide when you use the code SIMPLE. Go to CozyEarth.com and use the code SIMPLE for 35% off site-wide. We'd definitely make an excellent holiday gift for anyone on your list. The next sponsor is Lus Brands. I have spent years messing around with my hair trying to get a decent looking wave going. The main problem is that I aspire to put in very little effort to achieve a very impressive outcome. And no surprise that has failed. That is until I found Lus Brands. Lus Brands is a three-step system that includes shampoo, conditioner, and an all-in-one styler. It's especially designed for wavy and curly hair. So far, I've been quite pleased as Lust Brands really helps me to keep it simple in the morning. You can see for yourself why they have over 30,000 five-star reviews. 
Right now, my listeners can get 15% off your first purchase of $50 or more, but only when you go to lusbrands.com and you enter the promo code SIMPLE. That's Lus, L-U-S, brands with an S, dot com, promo code SIMPLE. Get 15% off with the promo code SIMPLE at lusbrands.com. I am so happy to have Seed back as our third and final sponsor for today. Seed sponsored the podcast earlier this year, and I have to say, I was skeptical. What is possibly different about this probiotic? And not only was I skeptical, I was interested. So I did dig in and read the science. And it's true, not all probiotics are created equal. And everyone in my family is now taking seed. They have a pediatric dose and an adult dose. It has a capsule in capsule design, which means there's a teeny little capsule inside of a bigger capsule, which protects against stomach acid, digestive enzymes. It makes it more viable through the digestive process. So what does this mean? It means that the live probiotics will actually make it to the end of your small intestine for delivery into the colon. Many people see improvements in digestion in just 24 to 48 hours. So start your new healthy habit today. Visit seed.com forward slash simple and use the code simple to redeem 20% off your first month. That's seed.com slash simple and use the code simple. Thanks so much for supporting our sponsors. They keep this show in business. Back to today's episode. So let's reflect for a minute on this quote from Nedra Tawab, who was um, on the podcast recently talking about boundaries. She says that expecting people to read your mind will ruin your relationships. What do you think about that? (laughs) I love it. I love it. And I loved her episode recently. Uh I think this is always, you know, a struggle in relationships, but I definitely think in the early years of parenting, it's really, really common. Um, I, I think that we often have just really unspoken ways that we assume that the other person is going to want to respond, um, whether it's about parenting and tasks, you know, and, and how we kind of divvy up, you know, labor and, and different things that need to be done for kids or around the house. Um, but even just between the two people, right? Like, I think that um, we often don't know really what the other person wants to feel connected. Um, I even think that a lot of people don't know what they want to feel connected. And so something I work with people a lot on is really um, observing themselves, becoming really good observers of of their own experience and their own feelings and their own needs and wants and to be able to to identify those a little bit better a little more clearly and then to communicate that to their partner so that both people kind of over time when they have these kinds of conversations you know throughout a marriage um, or a relationship um, become intimately aware of of not only their own needs but their partner's needs and to where there's almost this like I don't know, this map in their minds of, you know, these are the kinds of things that that I need that really help me feel good and close and secure. And these are the things that my partner needs. And and we don't do that perfectly all the time. We're not constantly meeting every single need at any given moment. But, you know, over a week or over a month, we kind of weave those things in so that we're we're kind of paying attention to the ways that that each of us feel good. 
Um, and that when we don't, when, when those needs aren't being met or there's something that's being left out, we can speak up and say, hey, I'm really needing this. I'm really missing this, this piece or this way that we connect or talk or whatever. And the other person can hear that and see if they can yeah. do better. Yeah. I think so often we want our partners to read our minds, you know, that we want them just to be able to jump in and know what needs to be done. And when they don't, we can get upset about it. But at the same time, getting upset about them not knowing what needs to be done doesn't get us any further. It just gets us upset, right? It doesn't teach. It doesn't help to inform them on the ways that they can support us. It just creates kind of this cyclical conversation slash argument about you don't seem to know what needs done and I don't feel supported. And it goes round and round. I've been in that myself, so I can't say that I'm immune to that. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah, I, yes, I think that this, like what, what you're talking about with the things that need to be done, my guess is you mean more around like around the house or with kids. Yeah. And yeah, I think that that becomes so much harder when kids come on board because there's a whole, whole, whole group of people now in the house, right, that need to yeah. be cared for. And um, that I think that mo- most couples don't sit down to really have those conversations and to figure out, you know, what are the actual tasks that, that need to be done or are being done and how do we um, work towards balancing this in a way that feels, you know, good or reasonably good for both of us. Um, I'm definitely thinking of, of E. Brodsky's work here um, mm-hmm. and um, just thinking that I think when we don't have those conversations that, that we are left with so much resentment and hurt and, and feelings of, you know, this, this feels so imbalanced and, and doesn't feel good to me. Um, and, but we expect, or we think that our partner should know that and should jump in and, and take over when we're not so good at speaking up and saying what that is. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that we have to be better about accepting help too. And that is challenging for a lot of people. I know it is for me. Um, my podcast manager, Negan, comes into the office once a week and she frequently will beat me there. And sometimes she will have vacuumed or like organized <laughs> the closet or done something like that. And I, so part of me wants to be like, thank you so much. But then also there's this kind of nagging part of me that says, I should have done that. Like mm-hmm. I should have been the one to do that. And mm-hmm. it's funny to reflect in this. This is a different type of partnership, but is feeling like how it is a little triggering for me when other people just notice and they do things that I maybe thought I should have done myself. So kind of letting go of that control and letting go of other people when they do want to take care of you and then when they do want to help you, that that side can, you know, it's something we don't so desperately want, but then it's not always easy to to accept either. Yes, I I totally agree. I think, you know, we've been, we've been working at this for our oldest is 10. So 10 years trying to kind of work at um, finding, you know, as, as good of a balance as we can. And those things have gotten so much better, but I still find myself, you know, when, when my husband does do things that maybe I used to do or feel like, you know, they're, they're tasks that he's taking on for me because we're, we keep trying to work at this balance and I feel, I feel guilty. I feel like worried that it's not quite right. I work one, uh, usually see clients one, one late night a week. And I used to really micromanage that, that time and used to be really, you know, tell them what they should have for dinner and 
remind of all the schedules and the different times and come home and want like a full report of everything that happened. And, you know, the last few years have gotten easier and I, I sometimes don't even know what they had for dinner. Um, and that feels so freeing, you know, to not, to not need to take that on, but it is, it's hard and it's hard to kind of keep working at that and keep being aware of those, those feelings or those, you know, parts that are hard to give up um, so that I can trust that my partner's got it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I work with a lot of parents, so couples, but as parents, more looking mm-hmm. into their parent role as parents and managing parenthood and child behavior. And I often see that parents come in, they come into my office with two different approaches. Mm-hmm. And it's it's challenging because usually one is a little bit more aligned with the research of what raises of how to raise well-adjusted kids who are happier and more successful academically, um, have a little bit more autonomy over their life, that sort of thing. So more authoritative, kind of this middle-of-the-road parenting approach, which the researcher does support to have, I hate to say better outcomes, but more well-adjusted outcomes maybe for kids um, versus the authoritarian approach, which is the because I said so, do what I say, because I told you to do it type approach, which is more authoritarian. And usually there's almost always one partner with a more authoritarian approach. Mm-hmm. And um, we're looking to find this middle ground. And sometimes the middle ground is where one partner already is. And that's challenging. Do you find this dynamic coming up too, where you're kind of trying to bring one in to meet the other one where they are? If that makes sense. Yeah. No, it does make sense. And yes, I definitely see it around parenting in particular. And um, I often try to explore what that means for them you know what does it mean to have one person who's kind of you know not in the right but like you know in in maybe the like ideal lane um and um what does it mean for them dynamically and sometimes that can bring up um that can play into the couple's dynamic right there where Mm -hmm. one person kind of feels like they're being criticized and the other person is, is, you know, right. Or, or, you know, criticizing them a lot. So the other person's feeling more defensive and sometimes getting to the heart of that can be really helpful. I think um, for couples to be able to name, um, you know, I, I see that you're doing these things in parenting and they, I can agree that probably they are good. And it sounds like the research supports that, but what it brings up for me is that I'm, doing something wrong and you know I'm I'm the bad parent or I'm the parent who's not not doing so well and that feels really terrible for me yeah. and so I think couples being able to talk through that and for the the partner who's who's in that kind of more ideal lane to be able to reassure like you know that they're, they're a great parent and that they they want they need their support and they want their support and they need them to you know be a team um, I think can sometimes take some of the edge off that defensiveness um, yeah. and and exploring, you know, kind of why people are in that more authoritative um, or authoritarian, excuse me, um, role and what that means for them and where that comes from and what their fears around letting go of that stance, um, I think can be really helpful. Yeah. I find that almost everyone is open to change and open to learning, but it has to be presented in a way that's not critical, right? It's yeah. not this, you, sh- you should be doing it this way and not I'm doing it right and you're doing it wrong. And the presentation of it is often 
the most challenging part. And that it can that it can be helpful to bring in a third party, right, to help mm-hmm. to mediate that. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah, I think you're right. And it makes me think of, I think, what's one of the most crucial elements in any of these topics around parenting or around, you know, tasks around the house or, or whatever is, is us being able to tap into our, our feelings for a partner, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. That this is, is actually a really incredible, incre- incredibly important person in our lives whom we love and we need their support and their help. And we want to be in a good place with them. And, and for me, at least sometimes when I connect with that and even remind myself of like how much I love him and you know how how good I feel 90% of the time I think really helps me in those moments where I am really frustrated or I am really um, disappointed or hurt um, to kind of put that into context and to to connect to that part because I think when we're angry and we're frustrated and irritated we lose that and then our words um, the ways that we approach each other in those moments just can be so much more hurtful and and not grounded in those that kind of more secure like stable feeling that we have with each other sounds a little bit like a gratitude practice right when we can notice the things that we're grateful for and we can anchor ourselves in those things it helps us to to make our words a little more gentle because i know it's easy to fall into that you always do this or you never do that and yeah. you're right though if we can come back to those things that we're grateful for we can help to kind of mediate our the intensity of our own feelings maybe yeah yeah I love that I think that could be really helpful and it makes me think of you know the couples that don't can't access that very well you know like they're not experiencing a lot of warm feelings they're they have a ton of conflict they've been disconnected for a lot of a lot of time or years um you know how do they build some of that maybe that needs to be um like a focus for for how to counter counterbalance some of that conflict is how are they kind of building some of the warm feelings and, and time and connection with each other so that when they do have conflict they have something to draw on um yeah. you know it's really really hard to be at a at a bad state in your relationship and then have a lot of conflict it's just um that's, it's, it's really hard to get through and to feel like there's um motivation to do that the pandemic has really changed some things for a lot of families with, I mean, in the beginning and still now, even I feel like there are a lot more people working from home, a lot more families with two partners at home, most of the time working from home still. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that has shifted a lot of dynamics. Like my husband's home way more now than he ever has. I wouldn't say he's available way more now than he ever was before. I think his availability is probably similar. But mm-hmm. interestingly, my expectations of him have gone up, even though he's still working as many hours. But since mm-hmm. he's on the premises, sometimes I find that I'm like, well, you're here. Can't you just you know, pause <laughs> that conference call and go take the dinner out of the oven? Um, right. So I think that that presence, when you're physically present and working from home, that those demands go up. And you know, I worked from home for many years, and now I'm working out of the home most of the time. And I just find that that is, um, yeah, I'm not doing the laundry during the day anymore. I'm not prepping dinner during my lunch break. And um, I want to lean on him to do that a little bit more, but that's not something he has kind of seamlessly picked up on. He's really working when he's at home, working from home. Yes. (laughs) Yes, I totally agree. I think that that, yeah, the pandemic effect on couples is just 
um, I think, huge. I th- the other thing that I think happens so much is, um, you know, couples still a lot of them who are working from home still have kids at home a lot. You know, they're either not ready for childcare yet, or they can't find childcare, and they're trying to kind of make the work from home, have kids at home, still work. And uh, I just think that that is so hard. Uh, it's so challenging. I mean, even yesterday, I um, was trying to get some work done, and my youngest was painting next to me at the table. And it's dangerous. <laughs> it, was, it was very challenging. And I found myself like, trying to just do those two things at once where I was on my computer trying to, to type things and manage the paint so that it didn't get everywhere. Like it just created so much more irritability and stress. Yeah. And I just, I, and I just think about the couples who are kind of doing that constantly, like have, you know, really young kids um, and they're trying to, to keep them, you know, entertained and, and, you know, not, creating messes everywhere while also working it just I think the level of stress and irritability like is at an all-time high um yeah that plus just people being around each other more um I tend to think about we, we all need some space and sometimes in a in a romantic partnership like space can be really healthy and I think if you know we're home together most of the time even if we're not talking all day just the like proximity I think can cannot be great on a relationship. And I think we need a little yeah. time to breathe and to have other experience and interact with other people and different, be in different spaces um, to, to, to come back together and have things to talk about and things that, you know, have happened that we want to catch up, catch each other up on. So when do you recommend that someone look at individual therapy versus couples therapy? Yeah. So um, ideally, and this is an ideal world, if people are really wanting, if someone is really wanting to work on their relationship with their partner, ideally they do couple therapy together. Um, you know, that's where their, their therapist is going to be able to actually help them with the dynamic in real time. Um, couple therapy is really experiential, um, meaning like there's a lot happening in the session itself, um, that, that creates change versus go home and do this homework. Um, and so couples have different experiences within the session because the couple therapist is there to kind of guide them and coach them and, you know, teach them things in the moment that they can practice, which is then much easier to implement at home because they've had someone there like shaping their conversation and helping them do it differently. Um, so that's ideal. Um, individual therapy is sometimes necessary if somebody has a partner who's, who won't go to therapy with them yet. Or, um, yeah, I was just resistant to that. Um, I, I definitely believe, and I, I see a lot of people who are trying to work on their relationship, um, but they're doing it individually. And of course, there can be ways that people um, learn new skills, kind of think about their relationship, um, get support around it individually, um, even if their partner, you know, isn't willing or able to come yet. Um, but I would say if, if people are on the fence, like I think asking a partner sometimes, you know, people are sometimes surprised and, and being able to come to them, not from a critical place, um, not from a place of like, you know, you need therapy or, you know, we're going <laughs> to or or from a threatening place, but more from a, yeah. I really want to work on this and our relationship's really important to me. 
And because it's so important, I want to put in the time um, to, to spend time with you to figure out how we can make this a little bit better. Yeah, it's all about the delivery. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Among other things. Yeah. But it's that the the delivery part, it is so important and it is so hard, especially because things are so emotionally charged. And, you know, I don't know, I'm using, I feel like some days every ounce of my energy to regulate my emotions when it comes to parenting my children. And then sometimes I don't have any of that energy left to regulate my emotions when it comes to my partner. So that part, it seems so simple, right? Just ask nicely or just, you know, say it in a heartfelt way. But sometimes we're just burnt out and exhausted and it can feel hard to muster up the energy to to do it in a constructive way. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I think that, you know, I think in that in that way, sometimes it's helpful just to think about how can I name these really frustrated feelings I'm having, right? Like it's not that I have to ignore them or pretend like they're not there or just like regulate myself so completely that my partner isn't even aware (laughs) that I'm upset. Um, But how do I just name it in a way that they can hear it, you know? And so I think, I think people, again, going back to the observer piece, like, how do they observe those feelings? Like, how do they get better identifying, like, what particular feeling is this that I'm having? You know, am I feeling, like, really unappreciated? Am I feeling really, um, hurt or rejected in this moment and how can I um, really connect to that with myself first and then practice describing it to my partner in a way that that's going to be about me I mean this is the the whole like counseling 101 thing right about you know I statements um, but there's so much benefit to that right if I can talk to my partner and say um, you know when when you did this the other day I felt really hurt and like you weren't considering me and um you know it felt like um it felt to me um you know really painful to have that experience with you that's really different than you did this and you're such a jerk and you know you don't think about me ever and things like that which of course is just going to create so much defensiveness yeah yeah and I'm thinking back on when we were talking about building connection I had this idea I have not executed on this yet but I was thinking <laughs> what if we start going out to dinner once a month and we don't talk at all about the kids or the family or the house and we have to find other things to talk about like current events or other things going on in the world <laughs> and I I this is something that I want to start doing because I feel like so much of our conversations my partner and I are around the family and the kids and just like the grind and that if we force ourselves to get outside of the box to talk about other things that we can kind of find some of that connection that we had in the past before we had the grind and the kids and the home and all those things. Yes, I love that. And I, yes, I'm a huge fan of that. And it's so common, right, that our, the kids and the house and all the things like eke into any time that we actually have with our partner. Um, and I love that idea of, of like really setting a goal that you're not going to speak about this thing for this yeah. one and a half hour dinner, you know, um, seems like a I don't great know if we challenge. can do it. I don't- <laughs> I'm sure he could do it. I don't know if I could do it, but I'm sure he could do it. <laughs> maybe, maybe you could like, you know, make some notes beforehand of like questions right. you want to ask him and but, possible okay. topics. <laughs> yeah. I actually think that's that's probably wise. It's yeah. I think it's hard for me, especially because parenting is so woven into my job that it just feels like it it does. It bleeds into everything, every part of my life. So finding yeah. 
the space. I mean, that's what I read about. Like that's the kind yeah. of my current event interest is things regarding children and development yeah. and psychology and his is not. So that, you know, I think part of that maybe is me opening up to wanting to talk about the things that he's more interested in too. Yeah. But when you say that, it makes me think like, this sounds to me like it's what, it's what lights you up, right? Like it's really yeah. um, exciting and meaningful to you. And so I wonder if when you have time with him, if you could shift it instead of just talking about the kids, if you could talk about yourself in these ways, like how do you share with him, you know, what's been exciting for you lately, either something you've been learning about or something you're trying with the kids or something that's been hard so that he's hearing from you about this and getting to know you in a different way um, versus like just focus on like the kids themselves or the topic. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. More than just on like who's going to drive them to school today or who's going to do this, that sort of thing, but more higher level stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I agree. So I recall in my grad school couples counseling class that one of the first things that the professor said at the very beginning of the class, which was a little discouraging, (laughs) was that (laughs) the reason that couples therapy fails so often is people wait until someone has one foot out the door. Do you think that's true? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Yeah. These these are, it's definitely the hardest work um, with couples when, when one person, sometimes both people um, do have one foot out the door. And when things get to that place, like where the warm feelings and the commitment to the relationship has deteriorated so much, you know, over years of relationship neglect or years of, of so much conflict or hurt, um, that one or both people are just ready to leave. There's just so, there's so little to work with, you know, it's like, like I said earlier, it's like the relationship has been starved or, or deprived of oxygen. Um, I feel like I know more about oxygen because of COVID, right? Like people having to use those, what are they called? Pulse ox meters. Um, and, and, and so, um, think, thinking about like the numbers just getting so low and, and when, you know, our relationship, if we're thinking about oxygen, meaning like the good stuff in the relationship, the warm feelings, um, when that has just not been in the picture for so long, it's like the, we're, we're, we're barely breathing, right? The relationship is getting mm-hmm. close to, to dying really. And I think when people come to therapy at that place, it's just, it's, it's so hard to get it back on track. There's just so little there to work with and there's so much pain um, and hurt that's built up over so long. And so I, I you know, always tell people, you know, the, the sooner you go, <laughs> the earlier you go and you don't wait too long, the, the more likely it is that it's going to, to really help and you're going to be able to get back to a different place because you haven't dipped down so low. Yeah, yeah, not waiting until you're in crisis. To make it happen. Yeah. You have a program for people who want to do that, right? Who want to just work on things before it gets to be too challenging, right? I do. Yeah. I, um, I'm, I've developed a program called Missing Us and, um, it's a group coaching program for couples and, um, it's a program for people who, um, are in the earlier stages of parenting and have really, um, looked up and realized that they are really missing the connection and the, the focus on the relationship that they used to have before they had kids. 
so um, they don't quite need to do the in-depth therapy, maybe. Um, things aren't, aren't really to that level, but they do want um, time and space to focus on their relationships. They want to learn new skills. They want to revamp their habits and routines uh, for their relationships, and they um, want support for, for figuring out how to do that. Um, so where can we find information about that? My website is called um, leftlovewell.com and um, there's a wait list there. You can go there to um, find out more about me and um, I've got a quiz, um, a free quiz on the website where people can take to figure out kind of what's really getting in the way of their connection with their partner now that they've become parents um, and one of the four, which of the four common barriers is really kind of getting them stuck right now. Okay. And where else can we find you online? Um, I'm on Instagram at let's love well. Um, and Great. I think that's it. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Abby. Yeah. Thank you for having me today. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you want the links to get in touch with Abby, go to simplefamilies.com forward slash episode 327. As always, I appreciate you. If you have a chance, leave a rating or review for the podcast. That helps this show to reach more people. Thanks so much. I'm glad you're here.